Chapter Eleven of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eleven, a woman who might have been happy. Gilbert Florestan, who came of age a few months before Robert Hatrell's death, was still a bachelor. He saw his twenty-eighth birthday approaching, and he saw himself no nearer matrimony than when he was twenty-one. His life in the interval had been eventful, and he felt older than his years he had entered the diplomatic service under the best possible auspices with family interest and collegiate honours in his favour he had travelled much and had spent the brightest years of his youth in vagrant diplomacy passing from one legation to another he had loved and he had suffered and now at twenty-eight having as he believed got beyond the passions and illusions of youth he was established in paris as an idler by profession well looked upon in the best society of the dazzling capital and not unacquainted with the worst he was not rich as wealth is counted nowadays when hardly any man under a millionaire presumes to consider himself comfortably off he had bread and cheese that is to say landed property which brought him nominally two thousand five hundred a year actually about seventeen hundred he was not ambitious he had lost father and mother before he was fifteen years of age and he had none but distant relations the stimulus to effort which paternal pride and maternal love might have afforded was in his case wanting he had no sister to interest herself in his endeavours and to exult in his triumphs he had no brother to rouse the spirit of emulation in his sluggish temperament he told himself that he stood alone in the world and that it mattered very little what became of him that he might go his own way whether to blessedness or perdition without hurting anybody but himself this sense of isolation had tended towards cynicism he saw the world in which he lived in its worst aspect and cultivated a low opinion of his fellow-men his estimate of woman had been of the lowest since one never to be forgotten april night in florence when standing in a moonlit garden he heard a woman's careless speech from an open window just above his head speech which told him with ruthless unreserve that the woman he had worshipped as more than half a saint was an audacious and remorseless sinner never till that night had gilbert florestan deliberately listened to a conversation that was not meant for his ear and on that night he stood beneath the window-sill for less than five minutes he only waited long enough to be sure that he had not deceived himself that the speech he had heard was not a delusion engendered of his own fevered brain there hidden amidst the foliage of magnolia and orange he stood and listened to the two who leant upon the cushioned sill above him looking dreamily out into the night No there was no illusion those words were real silvery sweet though to him they sounded like the hissing of medusa's snakes they told him that the woman he was pursuing with all confiding love was the mistress of another man that if she were to yield to his prayers and marry him a question which she was now debating with her lover the marriage would be a simple matter of convenience and the lover would not be the less beloved or the less favoured for thee carissimo it would always be the same said the silver voice and the music of the waltz in the adjoining ballroom seemed to take up the strain always the same always the same florestan waited to hear no more he left the garden of that semi-royal villa walked straight home to his lodgings in the via cavour packed up the lady's letters those cherished letters every one of which from the tiniest note acknowledging a bouquet to the longest and most romantic amplification of the old theme he loves me he loves me not 
he had treasured in a locked drawer together with every flower he had begged from the clusters she wore on her breast every stray glove he had hoarded and the dainty cinderella slipper for which he had paid more than its weight in gold to her maid he did not write her a letter he would not stoop so low as to give any expression to his anger or his scorn he had been deceived that was all the woman he loved had only existed in his imagination the beautiful face and form which she had ignorantly worshipped belonged to quite a different kind of woman perhaps there was no such woman out of a book as the woman he had imagined the woman of transparent soul and noble mind the only woman he cared to win i know you good-bye these five words were all the explanation or farewell which he deigned to send her he wrote them in his bold strong hand upon a sheet of bath post and wrapped it round the packet of letters then he packed them in another sheet and sealed them with the seal which had been set upon so many an ardent outpouring of his passionate heart yes he had loved her with all the fire and freshness of three-and-twenty with all the romantic fervour of a mind fed upon classic greek and steeped in italian poetry he had come to florence a romantic youth he left florence a blasé man of the world and yet now five years after in this bustling cosmopolitan and distinctly modern paris the very thought of those old palaces in which he had danced with her those old gardens where they had sat in twilight and starshine moonlight and shadow thrilled him with the bittersweet memory of a delusion that had been dearer than all the realities of his youth he had not been at fountainhead his birthplace by the river except for a week or a fortnight at a time since he came of age and sold the meadows adjoining river lawn to robert Atwell but although he had been living abroad since he left the university he had never consented to let strangers inhabit the house in which his father and mother had lived and died albeit agents had been desirous to find him an eligible tenant the house remained shut up in the care of his mother's faithful housekeeper and her nephew a handy young man who helped in the gardens where expenses had been cut down to the lowest level compatible with the preservation of the beauty of grounds which had been the chief delight of young mrs florestan's life a woman takes to a garden naturally as a duckling takes to water and cherishes it and watches it and thinks about it as if it were a living thing the worship of flowers and shrubs is inherent in the female mind and a woman who did not care for her garden would be a monster the house was old as old as the tudors and it was just one of those places which the modern millionaire would have ruthlessly raised to the ground or so altered restored enlarged and beautified as to obliterate its every charm of age and picturesqueness florestan was content to leave it all alone in its subdued colouring quaintness and inconveniences of construction telling of a civilization long past and of a life less pretentious and more domestic the gardens had all the grave beauty of an honourable old age very little money had been spent upon them but there had been taste and care from the beginning of things when they who planted them had lord bacon's essays on gardens in their minds as a new thing and had known francis bacon in the flesh and talked with him of the trees and flowers he loved vagrant diplomacy had carried gilbert florestan very far from the old home in which his ancestors had dwelt from generation to generation but he kept the image of his birthplace in a corner of his heart and he would almost as soon have sold his heart's best blood as the house in which his people had lived and died paris suited his cynical temper at eight-and-twenty a city through which the whole civilized world passed and repassed the vestibule of europe the playground of america a city in which a man who only wanted to be a spectator of the life drama could have ample opportunity to study the varieties of mankind nationalities professions wealth and penury beauty and burning 
mr florestan had a fourth floor in the champs elysees an apartment which he spoke of jocosely as his sky-parlour nominally the fourth it was practically the fifth floor and the balcony commanded a bird's-eye view of the city a vast panorama of white walls and grey and red roofs through which wound the serpentine coils of the dark blue river although the rooms were so near the roof they were spacious and lofty and were furnished with some taste florestan's own belongings books pictures photographs bronzes and curios giving an air of comfort and individuality to the conventional louis seize suite of tapestried easy-chairs and sofas ebony tables and cabinets the rooms comprised an ante-room where three large palms and a turkish divan suggested oriental luxury and which served as a waiting-room for tradesmen and troublesome visitors of all kinds a library where florestan dined on the very rare occasions when he dined at home a small smoking-room adjoining and a spacious bedroom with dressing and bathroom attached here gilbert florestan lived his own life received the few intimate friends he cared about and shut out all the great family of bores in the polite world of paris he was known as a well-born englishman whose commanding presence and handsome face were distinctly ornamental in any salon and he was welcomed accordingly with parisian effusion which he knew meant very little in the demi-monde he was known as a young man who had outlived his illusions and in that half-world he was a more important figure than in the salons of the great it must be owned that he had a preference for bohemian society with all its accidents and varieties its brilliant reputations of to-day its sudden disappearances of to-morrow its frank revelations its absence of all reserve he painted cleverly in a sketchy style after the manner of the impressionists and he was very fond of art music and the drama had also an inexhaustible charm for him and he loved those out-of-the-way nooks and corners of the art world where dwell the men and women whose talents have won but scanty appreciation from the great public and who have never been spoiled or philistinized by large monetary rewards directly an artist gets rich there is a divine fire goes out of him said florestan all the spontaneity and the daring which made him great is paralyzed by the greed of pain he no longer obeys the first impulse of his genius the real inspiration but he sits down to consider what will pay best the thing good or bad true or false which will bring him in the most solid cash he strives no longer to realize his ideal he studies the market and paints or writes or composes for that and so dies the divinity out of his art his genius shudders and flies the trader's studio for once bitten with a desire to make money the artist sinks to the level of the trader he is no better than the middleman with his shop on the boulevard and his talent for reclame there is plenty of unrewarded talent in the great city of paris and amongst painters and composers who had never reached the monotonous table-land of financial ease amongst journalists poets and vaudevillists gilbert florestan found a little world which was bohemian without being vicious but which occasionally opened its doors to certain stars of the demi-monde who would hardly have been received in the great houses of the faubourg saint-germain or the faubourg saint-honoré it was at a musical evening on a third floor in the rue des saint pères that florestan met two women in whom he felt keenly interested at first sight they were mother and daughter the mother was distinguished-looking and had once been handsome the daughter was eminently beautiful he was told that they were spaniards natives of madrid the elder lady described herself as the widow of a general officer felix quijada who died when her only child dolores was an infant she had migrated to paris soon after her husband's death and had lived there ever since 
mother and daughter were both dressed in black with an elegant simplicity which did not forbid the use of a great deal of valuable lace and florestan noted that the elder lady wore diamond solitaire earrings and the younger a collet necklace which would not have misbeseemed the throat of a duchess nowhere however could diamonds have shown to greater advantage than on the ivory whiteness of mademoiselle dolores di quijada's swan-like neck nowhere had florestan seen a lovelier complexion or finer eyes but that which attracted him most in the spanish girl's face was her resemblance to the woman he had loved the woman who had deceived him and well-nigh broken his heart he was interested in her at first sight and he begged to be introduced to her and her mother they received him with cordiality perhaps because he was the handsomest and most aristocratic-looking man in an assembly where art was represented by long hair and well-worn dress-coats on the part of the men and by eccentric toilets and picturesque heads on the part of the women madame du turc the giver of the party was the wife of a musical man who had written a successful opera twenty years before succeeded by several unsuccessful ones and who now made a somewhat scanty living by giving pianoforte lessons and publishing occasional compositions which he fondly believed to be as good as chopin's best work but which were rarely played by anybody except his own pupils clever people musical or otherwise liked good-natured little madame du turc's parties and as she did not inquire too closely into the antecedents of any well-mannered and pretty woman who sought her acquaintance people were met in her salon who were not without histories and whose past and present existence was in some wise mysterious the spanish beauty and her mother were accidental acquaintances met at boulogne-sur-mer the previous summer are they not charming the little woman asked florestan while her husband a grim-looking man with a long gaunt figure after the manner of don quixote a long pale face and long grey hair was crashing out one of his noisiest mazurkas in which the tempo rubato prevailed to an agonizing extent they are of a very old castilian family a quijada was secretary or something to charles v and i know that they are rich though they live in a very simple style on a second floor in the rue saint guillaume the young lady's diamonds look like wealth most assuredly replied florestan but how comes it that so lovely a woman and not without a dot should be unmarried at five or six-and-twenty she looks quite as old as that oh she has had offers and offers she is tired of admiration and pursuit her mother has talked to me of the grand opportunities she has thrown away she is a capricious spoiled child she does what she likes and her mother is too fond of her to oppose her in anything they adore each other it is a most touching spectacle to see them in their modest interior the mother looks as if she could hate as well as love said florestan there are some resolute lines about those lips and that prominent chin quite the patrician air has she not and remarkably well preserved too said madame who was proud of her guests and their diamonds it was not often such diamonds had appeared on the third floor over a bookmaker's shop in the rue des saint pères when the mazurka had finished in a tempest of double arpeggios and a volley of chords florestan contrived to get a little conversation with mademoiselle quijada her manners were certainly distinguished she had a reposeful air that contrasted agreeably with the parisian vivacity which florestan knew by heart her voice was deep-toned and full and seemed just the one voice to harmonize with the dark and luminous eyes the somewhat heavy features and marble complexion she did not strike him as a brilliant or intellectual woman she suggested a statue warmed into life but only a dreamy and languorous life which might at any hour fade again into marble he had a shrewd suspicion that she was unhappy 
that the diamonds and the adoring mother did not altogether suffice for content there was a pained look sometimes about the lovely sensuous lips there was a droop in the sculptured eyelids which suggested weariness weariness of life and of the world perhaps or it might be that self-contempt which springs from the consciousness of a false position he was struck with her and interested in her but she awakened no tender emotion in his breast no thrill of passion in his veins he could never love any woman who was like that woman if ever love came to him again the divinity must wear a different shape must be as unlike his false love as one woman can be unlike another i cannot give parties like these pleasant gatherings of madame du turc's said madame quijada by and by when she was bidding him good-night after he had ministered to her comforts by supplying her with a cup of very weak tea and a sugared biscuit my daughter and i live in a very secluded way but we are always at home to a few intimate friends on a thursday evening and if you should ever care to drop in upon our seclusion we shall be charmed to see you be sure madame that i shall not be slow to avail myself of that distinguished privilege replied florestan and his reply meant more than such an answer usually means his curiosity his interest in the side scenes of life were aroused by these two women in whose existence he scented one of those small social mysteries which he delighted to unravel so beautiful and so elegant a woman as senorita quijada would hardly waste her beauty and her jewels upon such a shabby salon as madame du turc's if she were free of more fashionable assemblies she was evidently outside the pale and with that hankering after respectability which is the canker-worm of the disreputable she had greedily accepted the unquestioning kindness of the music-master's wife what do you think of those two asked a young portrait-painter with whom florestan was intimate as the spanish ladies left the salon i take them to be women with a history yes and a dark one madame du turc is an angel of benevolence and simplicity and all her wandering lights are of purest lustre she has entertained a good many demons unawares and i fancy madame quijada she has got hold of a very sulphurous specimen the lady is handsome and her manners are both dignified and refined so are the manners of a harpy no doubt when you meet one in evening dress i dare say clytemnestra was a very elegant woman and shakespeare's lady macbeth is one of the politest persons in the world of poetry i think i would as soon trust my life in a lonely scotch castle with lady macbeth as on a third floor in paris with madame quijada supposing that madame quijada had any motive for poisoning me you take a strong view said florestan smiling at his intensity i always take strong views it is my trade to study the human countenance and i have made a particular study of those two faces mother and daughter the daughter is a victim the mother is a devil of cunning and unscrupulous greed did you see the diamonds they wore those are the price of a woman's soul the daughter has been sold to the highest bidder and the mother has been the huckster that woman would do anything for gain i am sorry for mademoiselle quijada if there is any truth in your supposition so am i sorry almost to tears she is a stupid beautiful creature with very little more intellect than a butterfly but one is always sorry for a crushed butterfly sorry for beauty trodden under foot she is a woman who might have been happy yes i am sorry for her florestan lost no time in availing himself of madame quijada's invitation he went to the rue saint guillaume on the following thursday evening between eight and nine very curious to see what kind of home the spaniard and her daughter had made for themselves in the wilderness of paris 
the house in which they lived was one of the oldest and possibly one of the largest in the old-fashioned street it was assuredly one of the most gloomy a house with a stone courtyard screened from the street by a high wall to enter the court after dark was like going into an abyss of gloom through which a lighted window here and there shone faintly muffled by curtains for the most part the windows were closed by venetian shutters through which no ray of lamplight escaped the porter who answered florestan's summons informed him that madame quijada's door was on the left side of the second-floor landing but vouchsafed no further attention and he groped his way upward between the dim lamplight in the vestibule and the still fainter light of a lamp on the first floor the second floor had only the borrowed light from below and he was but just able to distinguish the handle of the door-bell he was surprised at the door being opened by an elderly man in livery a very sober livery who had the air of an old retainer and who conducted him through a lobby and an ante-room to a spacious salon where he found the two ladies seated with a third who sat in a corner somewhat overshadowed by the projecting chimney-piece a woman of any age between twenty and forty whose pale face and premature grey hair attracted florestan's attention seldom if ever had he seen a countenance which bore in its every line so striking an evidence of past sorrow that woman with the iron-grey hair must have suffered as very few women are called upon to suffer he told himself the beautiful dolores was seated on a sofa on the opposite side of the hearth fanning herself with a languid grace which brought into play the beauty of her hand and the brilliancy of her diamond rings and listening or pretending to listen to the animated talk of a man whom florestan recognized as the celebrated journalist and novelist francois de lomarac a petit crevé of two or three and twenty who sat on a pouf near the sofa lost in admiration of the lady's beauty and the journalist's wit completed the party madame quijada received him with much cordiality dolores gave him the tips of her fingers and lemerac accorded him a condescending nod a man whose last novel had taken paris by storm could not be expected to put himself out of the way on account of a casual englishman florestan took a chair near the lady in the shadowy corner and then having talked for a few minutes with his hostess gave himself up to the contemplation of the room in his mind surroundings were always indicative of character and he wanted to see what the nest would say of the birds the salon was furnished with stern simplicity and in a subdued style of decoration and colouring that testified to the refinement of the person who had planned and arranged it the louis seize armchairs and sofas were covered with old tapestry in greenish and greyish tones softened by age they looked like furniture that had been brought from some old family home in the country there were three or four small tables a secretaire in old walnut an indian screen and several vases filled with choice flowers of those bibelots and chinoiseries that ornament the average drawing-room there was no trace those choice flowers which at this season must have been costly were the only embellishment of the somewhat sombre furniture chief among them was a clustering mass of white lilac and a vase of richly glazed delf that looked like lapis lazuli the spacious and lofty room with its neutral colouring and air of a departed century would have been gloomy without these flowers they afforded the only touch of brightness and gaiety in the picture an affectation of simplicity with considerable expenditure in superfluities such as hothouse flowers and diamonds mused florestan i wonder what it all means and i wonder what she means he added looking at the pale silent woman with the large soft eyes and the iron-grey hair it might be that madame quijada saw his look for she approached at this moment and introduced him to the silent lady whom she described as her niece mademoiselle Marcet 
louise is more than my niece she is my adopted daughter she said her father and i were brought up together on a small estate in the neighbourhood of marseilles and my niece here was born within sight of the mediterranean ah that is the sea and that is the sunny shore we englishmen love as well as any spot of earth said florestan addressing himself more to the niece than to the aunt but the younger woman took no notice of his speech do you see any likeness between my daughter and her cousin monsieur asked madame quijada yes there is no doubt a likeness answered florestan i can trace it in the form of the brow and in the expression of the eyes he waited looking at mademoiselle marsay with a friendly smile expecting her to speak and then keenly anxious to hear her voice he asked her an unmeaning question are you fond of paris mademoiselle or do you still regret the olive woods and pine-clad hills of provence i have never left off regretting them she answered in a subdued voice that struck him as full of a vague pathos as if sorrow had changed all the major tones to minor and yet it is so long since i saw them that they seem almost like the memory of a dream and you have never been tempted to revisit the south no monsieur my poor louise does not travel interjected madame quijada she suffered nine years back from a serious illness which shattered her nervous system she has been obliged to lead a very tranquil life since then she is our household fairy the angel of the hearth an admirable housewife but she cares very little for the outer world except for her morning walk before we lazy people are up or to hear an opera now and then she very rarely leaves home you are fond of the opera mademoiselle asked florestan yes i love good music wherever it is to be heard but the opera most of all it is another world i forget everything while i am there her face kindled a little as she spoke the light was not a vivid light but it was at least an awakening from the dull apathy he had noticed before i should like to send you a box for the opera some night if you will allow me he said i know some great ladies who are occasionally generous to me when they don't care about occupying their boxes may i seize the first opportunity and send you one i shall be very grateful to you he was studying her face while he talked to her the features were delicate and regular the eyes were still beautiful but sorrow had ploughed deep lines about them and had set its mark upon the broad white brow marred as it was by past suffering he liked her face better than her cousin's that type of sensuous beauty which had held him captive five years ago had lost all charm for him now he wanted the mind the music breathing from the face and in madame quijada's niece with her iron-gray hair lined forehead and melancholy eyes he saw a spiritual beauty which enlisted all his sympathy that idea of a great sorrow suffered in the morning of life and leaving its indelible mark upon the sufferer impressed him strongly he was floating about among his great ladies in one of the most brilliant salons of republican paris on the following evening but he did not ask any of those luminaries for her box at the opera preferring to go to the box-office and pay for one it was quite true that boxes had been offered to him but the occasions had been somewhat rare and he had only put forward that idea in order to lessen mademoiselle marsay's sense of obligation he wanted to give her pleasure if he could and he wanted to see more of the curious trio he sent the box ticket to madame quijada expressing the hope that she and her daughter and niece would attend the next representation of gounod's faust which was fixed for the following night the lady had told him that she seldom went out in the evening and he therefore counted on finding her disengaged he added that he should have the honour of visiting their box in the course of the performance 
he had secured a stall so that he should not appear to have offered the box to the beautiful dolores with the idea of exhibiting himself in her company for the whole evening but the precaution was wasted so far as dolores was concerned for madame quijada's daughter was not in the box when he looked up from his place in the stalls to see how it was occupied madame quijada was in the place of honour looking dignified and distinguished in her spanish mantilla fastened with diamond stars and beside her simply dressed in a black gown and a marie antoinette fichu sat louise marseille attentive and absorbed evidently drinking in every note of the overture he had scarcely time to wonder at mademoiselle quijada's absence when someone in the next row said how do you do florestan and he was startled at finding his riverlawn neighbours seated exactly in front of him mother and daughter were sitting side by side the girl in her simple white gown with a bunch of parma violets on her breast the mother in dark grey velvet and sapphires placidly beautiful with titianesque eyes and hair assuredly one of the loveliest women in that assembly albeit her charms were in their summer maturity and not in their vernal freshness it is not granted to many women to be perfectly beautiful at eight-and-thirty but it had been granted to ambrose arden's wife and her husband's heart thrilled with pride as he noted florestan's admiring look a look which passed over the daughter to linger on the beauty of the mother florestan's glance went back to the daughter presently and he saw that she too was lovely with a loveliness which echoed every note in the mother's beauty only the lines were less developed and less definite the colouring was less brilliant he looked from the young girl to the young man beside her and recognized cyril arden whom he had not seen for some years there had never been anything approaching intimacy between florestan and the family at riverlawn but there had been acquaintance and exchange of civilities from the commencement of the hatrell's residence when the owner of fountainhead was an undergraduate subject to the dominion of guardians he had thus in a manner seen daisy hatrell grow from infancy to girlhood and he noted the opening flower with admiring eyes she seemed to him the perfection of english girlhood her complexion of lilies and roses her hazel eyes and auburn hair realized his ideal of english beauty albeit as in her mother's case the brilliancy of the colouring recalled the school of titian rather than the school of reynolds he murmured a few words of congratulation to ambrose arden whom he had always regarded as a scholarly and inoffensive person a mere nonentity outside his library he wondered much that such a man could have won the heart of such a woman as clara hatrell he asked if they had just come from lamford and was told of their italian winter we are going back to riverlawn almost immediately said clara i am longing to be amongst my household goods even venice could not make mother false to riverlawn added daisy and are you not glad to go home miss hatrell asked florestan home is always sweet yes i shall be glad to see all the dear old things again garden river books horses and dogs and boats but venice was simply intoxicating you know it i suppose by heart there are very few spots in italy that i don't know there goes the curtain the curtain rose and florestan was silent deferring his visit to madame quijada's box till the end of the act he had looked up once while he was talking to his friends and had seen that lady's keen black eyes watching him intently while her niece wrapped in the music seemed unconscious of all else and certainly unconcerned about him he left his place after the curtain fell and went straight to the box where the open door suggested that he was expected i am sorry not to see mademoiselle dolores he said when he had exchanged greetings with both ladies she sends you her best thanks for your courteous invitation replied madame quijada but she very seldom goes out in the evening 
our appearance at that good madame du turc's was an exceptional event it is a pity that so much beauty should be hidden from the world said florestan madame quijada bowed her acknowledgment of this speech and returned to the contemplation of the audience she seemed to know everybody of consequence in that assembly by sight but she recognized no one as an acquaintance you were talking to some friends in the stalls just now she said to florestan with her eyes fixed upon the arden party a very handsome woman with a handsome daughter they are your compatriots no doubt yes they are english the lady is my next-door neighbour on the banks of the thames she has lately married for the second time louise marsay followed the direction of her aunt's eyes and looked down at the stalls where the two beautiful heads with rich auburn hair were conspicuous in a central position the orchestra was silent just now and louise's thoughts were at liberty is she a great lady in england a lady of title asked madame quijada curiously no she is the wife of a commoner she and her husband are well off and of good family but they are not great people what is the lady's name arden her daughter is miss hatrell hatrell louise marsay repeated the name almost in a whisper there was something in her tone that startled florestan and he was still more surprised on looking at her to find her ashy pale her aunt saw the change in her face and rose quickly and supported her to the back of the box where she moistened her temples with eau de cologne the poor child will be better soon she said to florestan she has been subject to these swooning fits ever since her illness come now louise you are better now are you not yes i am quite well now it was nothing oh it was very nearly a fainting fit we have just escaped all the fuss and anxiety of a swoon what was it made you feel ill the light and heat or the excitement of the music it was the light perhaps it gave me a kind of vertigo and i was so interested in looking at mrs hatrell she said pronouncing the name with an accent which somewhat disguised it tell me about her she went on turning to florestan she is your friend you say yes she is my friend and she has married for the second time lately quite lately as late as last september and she is happy i suppose so she has gone through a great deal of trouble but i conclude that now she has a new husband she has forgotten that old sorrow her first husband's death was a tragical one he was murdered in london seven or eight years ago by an unknown hand and has his murderer never been found asked madame quijada with reviving interest never i fear he never will be louise had resumed her seat and was gazing at the two fair faces in the stalls absorbed in contemplation how old is miss hatrell she asked presently about eighteen is she amiable charming i have never met a sweeter girl i have known her from her childhood but we have not seen very much of each other i have been a wanderer on the face of the earth as i think i told you the other night yes answered louise absently with her eyes fixed on daisy's smiling face how happy she looks and how good was she fond of her father very fond she was only a child when she lost him but she was devoted to him and he to her you remember him you knew him well fairly well and liked him much he was as frank and open as the day a man without guile i do not like that other man said louise still looking down at the stalls which man the second husband why not how can you like or dislike at a glance 
i always do i liked and trusted you at the first glance i distrust him End of chapter 11